When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I keep searching for the answers to I'm caught between belief and wanting out There's this promise that my soul just cannot shake That I am loved despite the struggles of my faith Now that my eyes are open, I can see that I am stronger broken. You're the mystery that I put my hope in. The more I seek, the more I find. The Deconstructionist Podcast is produced by Nicholas Rowe at the National Audio Preservation Society Recording Studio in Newark, Ohio. Follow us on social media at www.thedeconstructionist.com, on Facebook at Deconstructionist Podcast, Twitter at Deconstructcast, and Instagram at Deconstructionist Podcast. If listening to this podcast has benefited you in any way, consider making a donation. The donate link is in the show notes, or you can visit our website and click the donate tab. Help me trust beyond what I'm not Be content with all this grace you've given In my weakness you are strong All right, welcome again, everybody, to the Deconstructionist Podcast. We're your excited hosts. We're always excited. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) We are your hosts, Adam Narlock and... John Williamson. What a weird week we've had, huh? Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> well, we're really excited about this because this kind of concludes the third part to our unofficial trilogy of, um, I don't even know what we- Did we even name this thing? I don't think so. I was trying to think about that today. Deconstructionist stories, maybe? Yeah, or like deconstructing traumatic events in your life. That's too long. Let's get personal. <laughs> yeah. <No>. Yeah. <laughs> But like, I, I think this is really cool because obviously, uh, those of you that have been following us the last few weeks, um, or at least listen to the last uh, couple episodes, we kind of start off with a special kind of intimate interview conversation, really, with uh, with the musician Brendan Strawn from Monarch, uh, followed by um, the one and only uh, Momastery, uh, Glennon Doyle Melton, which Good is just God. <laughs> Could she be nicer? No, yeah, unbelievable, impossible. Just, just she's just a like a like giant heart who oh just yeah lives to lives to give you know and and uh i just i really hope her book was killing it by the way 
um, I, I happen to check the uh, the charts or whatever. It debuted, uh, I think, number one. You in, know, when on Oprah, when Oprah picks your book up and chooses it as like the Oprah Book Club, the Opes, you're gonna be okay. I know, man. <laughs> I know. When when Oprah cradles you in her her arms, you're gonna be just fine at that oh, at that point. Oprah, you can, you can rest assured. You can come on our show anytime. We want Oprah. We would love to have Oprah. Oh, it'd be so fun, man. <laughs> She'd have so many fun things to say. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Dude, she's killer. Um, but yeah, so this is kind of the third part. Um, uh, the individual, the the gentleman that that we had the uh, the privilege of of talking to you this week. Um, his name is Zach Bolin. And uh, you may not know the name uh, for those of you that don't live in the Seattle, Washington area, but um, he is most well known for being uh, the former uh, lead worship pastor at uh, Mars Hill Church in uh, the Seattle area. Mm-hmm. Um, and under uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll. That's right. That's right. For those or, of you guys that remember, he's. I guess he's still a pastor. He's yeah. pastoring again. Yeah. Former pastor of Mars Hill Church. Always a pastor in some fashion. Yeah. <laughs> Center of all kinds of evangelical controversy yes. his entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, you're talking about Mark, yes. Yeah, well, Mark Driscoll. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. not you. You're not the center of <laughs> evangelical controversy. I thought, meant, I thought you meant Zach. <laughs> oh, yeah. Zach is definitely not the center of evangelical. <laughs> so I think he's trying to steer clear at He's this like, point. get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> That will become very obvious momentarily. <laughs> oh, I loved him. But super, super nice guy. And he also um, is, is well known for being uh, the lead singer of this incredible band, Citizens and Saints, uh, which you guys uh, will be hearing um, throughout this episode. Samplings. So they've got a new episode, or episode, we've got a new episode. I don't know what I'm talking about. Are you tired? I might be a little tired. <laughs> Adam and I, you guys, I mean, we don't say this enough, but like Adam and I both have full-time jobs that are both just squeezing the life out of us right now. We're trying to maintain our pace on this podcast. So when you when you have to when you have to pull out two cups of coffee when you record your podcast in the evening, that's a bad <laughs> sign. John gets here after work and I just hand him a cup of coffee yep. and we go downstairs. We're <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Oh man. So he uh knew Album is what I meant to say. Um, they have a new album coming out that is um, it's called A Mirror Dimly, and it is one of the most incredible pieces of music I've ever heard. It's, I think I called it, uh, what did I call it? Part part worship album and part personal journal. Oh, man, it was so good. So um, I, you guys are going to love it. Um, we're definitely going to put all that information in the show notes. Uh, but really, the reason we had uh, Zach on is because Zach has a really unique story. So... Mm. Um, oh yeah. So what, you know, you referenced this a little bit. Um, what, what, what would you say would be kind of the theme of this one? Well, I love that this is coming out now because I tweeted the other day. I don't know if you saw this, John, I don't know how close you follow our Twitter. I, um, I, I tweeted the other day, um, you know, what things do you, uh, question about faith and spirituality? What things leave you saying, you know, WTF in your mind when you look at them. Yeah. And so many people, a lot of people tweeted or, or emailed or responded in some way, shape or form, maybe by message, whatever that, you know, deconstructing like the church or mega churches or celebrity pastors or things like that is something that they look at and go like, what the, what the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that we talk about with Zach throughout this episode is uh, I'm going to paint in broad strokes here just for the sake of brevity, but like most mega churches need to die. <laughs> yeah. There's no, like, there's so like the mega church thing is just so co-opted by the power structures at play in the West capitalism, 
you know, empirical sort of institutionalization and celebrity pastors and all this stuff. And Mark Driscoll was, you know, kind of like the, when the internet bubble hit and like all of the podcasts started coming out in the early 2000s and just people using technology to advance their church platform. He was always like at the the spearhead of that, the cutting edge. And then this guy fell from grace or whatever you want to call it. He essentially got fired for being an (laughs) a-hole. Yeah. And the funny thing about that, I'm not here to trash on Mark Driscoll. I I don't know him. I'm I'm not here to trash on him, but like got fired for, you know, essentially for being an a-hole. I read the letter that they fired him. And then some of the other people that fired him ended up later on getting fired for being a-holes. Right. And it's just like, when is this going to stop? Like, when is this whole charade, this whole thing? So listeners that have wanted us to talk about some, like, you know, deconstructing megachurch, deconstructing celebrity pastor, deconstructing some of these really unhealthy things in the spiritual culture and climate of our country, we touch on those in a really personal um, raw, honest way in this talk with Zach Boland, who was in the thick of that stuff and made it out on the other end, deconstructed, reconstructed, has new eyes to see things. And it, it's really a beautiful conversation. You know, we, we talk about it. He says in his press release on this album, the, you know, the, one of the best days in the history of Seattle, Washington is when Mars Hill shut its doors. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you can't really. So this is not an episode where we're looking to trash on any particular people. We don't do that. We stay away from that. We don't want this podcast to become the water cooler of church gossip or anything like that. <laughs> but things happen and they need to be talked about. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about it with Zach Bolin. And he is fantastic. Yeah. Insightful, imaginative, soft, humble, creative, wonderful. This, yeah. this was a blast. Uh, I would just say, after you get done listening to this episode, um, go, first of all, this uh, episode will drop um, about, I think, two days before the album releases. It comes out on uh, the 16th, September 16th, that Friday. So go out and get it. Um, one of the biggest things that struck me, and we talk about this a little bit in the episode, are just the, like I said, the personal journal portion of it is is just really lyrically you can see him like this guy who's just really having an honest struggle with Mm. life as a result of this kind of traumatic situation that that occurred with his job and church yeah um and i just i just recommend people sit down with that and just let that sink in and absorb and and really just look over those words and i think it's going to resonate with a lot of people out there yeah so without further ado yeah zach freaking bowling Zach Bolin, we are just thrilled. We're delighted, um, really excited to have you to be on the Deconstructions podcast today, man. Thanks for being with us, guys. Thank you. I've been listening for a while now, and uh, it's pretty. It's an honor, honestly. 
to be able to be doing this with you guys. Cause I mean, when we were talking about, you know, how do we want to share this record? You guys were definitely on that list of people we wanted to talk with, uh, because I think we have a lot in common, but too, I think there's a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast will find uh, our music to kind of hopefully speak to a little bit, maybe where they're at. So I think that's going to happen without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is, by, by the way, a, a crazy and weird thing for us to hear. So, <laughs> so weird. We, we're so far removed from, uh, I think, for most of the people that probably listen to our show, uh, stuck in a basement in Columbus, Ohio. So it's, uh, it's always it's always weird and, and in a nice way to hear to hear that. So thank yeah, you. So thanks for starting off with a big ego boost for yeah, us. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna pat each other on the back now. It's gonna be whatever. You can't see whatever it. we. Whatever yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, um, what you're doing is we're reaching all the way out here to the West Coast. So uh, that's crazy. There. That is so awesome, man. But we, we love it, man. That's that's such such great uh, news to hear. So um, as we get started here, I think I think the best place to start uh, with you would be. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about you know how you were raised. Were you raised in you know a, a religious household? And and obviously for people that don't know you, um, you up until I think recently were a uh, worship leader. So how you know how did your life progress to a point where you you became a worship leader? Is that something that you wanted to do from childhood, or is that something that just kind of fell into place? Yeah, I mean, as far as like my upbringing goes, I mean, I. I did grow up in a religious home. Um, my my uh, so my mom dad they met um, sort of out of high school, and uh, eventually got married. And um, my dad grew up in the church. My mom she she didn't, and so um, she became a, a Christian later. And um, kind of before they got married, and so I grew up going to church. And then when I was six, my dad died. Um, and actually, I have a lot of memories. I mean, he he led. I, it's funny because I feel like we, we would be, if he were alive today, we'd be very different people. Uh, but, uh, just based on what I know of him. Uh, but he, I remember him leading like the youth choir even and stuff like that mm. uh, out of church. Um, but we, so he died and then, uh, naturally, as you can imagine, that was really hard on my mom, uh, hard on my brother and I too, but we were, we were young, you know, we didn't really have a capacity to understand, uh, just sort of the gravity of, of death and, you know, something that's like that final, um, as far as, you know, what we experience on earth. And so, um, my mom really wrestled through a lot of depression. And so that kind of created a bit of tension in our house. Um, and so for me, I kind of had my like greatest supporters really were my dad's side of the family, um, and his, um, his sister's. But then also uh, just the church, you know, and it's funny because as I grew up, I, I don't know, I don't know, like, it's funny, I used to feel this pressure and embarrassed because I didn't have like that story of I went on, I was on my knees and prayed this specific prayer at kids church or whatever, I don't know. But I do remember uh, going to my dad's grave when I was 14. And at that point, things were pretty tumultuous between my mom and I because, um, she had remarried and that wasn't going well and she had just divorced and, and there was just a lot of stuff there. So I just, I, as a teenager, there was a lot of things I didn't understand. Mm. Um, and so I, when I went to his grave, um, that particular day, I think it was, it was either the anniversary of his death or something. I just always thought it was really weird going to a grave. So <laughs> I never, <laughs> yeah, man. 
I never really liked, I never liked it. I never enjoyed it. It just felt so strange to me. Uh, meanwhile, all that time, I kind of wrestled a lot with this idea that my path, I don't, like my pathway to, to God was not Jesus, but it was my dad. Um, wow. And so I kind of like prayed to my dad even, you know, as a young kid. And I just wanted to talk to him so badly, you know, I just mm, wanted yeah. to care so badly. Like when my mom was kind of spiral, spiraling, like in honest, you know, in all honesty and, and, you know, we've had good conversations over the years since, but like, I didn't want my mom. I wanted my dad, you know, because in my mind, he was this person who would like never, who would never let me down, who would just always be there and this faithful, steady rock. And I just had this false view of him. And so mm. when I, uh, was 14 at his grave. It just for some for some reason, I don't want to say it was the first time, but it's kind of like just that light bulb comes on, and um, it was I just grieved really heavy that day, and um, I also know that that was the beginning of me realizing that I was just enthralled and and worship really of my dad and. Just seeing that, you know, no matter how great of a man he was, in the end, like, God, um, God loved me. And he wasn't, you know, ashamed of me for, for believing all these things all those years, but was like wow. welcoming me. And yeah. to be re- in, in relationship with him, to be his son. And so <clears throat> I, I just think that was the beginning of that whole process. And so from there, I started to... Really, I, at the I'd, I'd gotten into music some along the way, but um, I started to. We had a youth group, and I would play music sometimes and, and do stuff like that. And um, I kind of left eventually, graduated high school, and left feeling, despite growing up in the church, the church I was a part of was really, honestly, terrible. I'm not, and I, I don't even say that. <laughs> I could probably say a lot worse. Uh, I mean, I just, so many of my friends that I grew up with that were part of that church, you know, it was small, but you know, they don't want to have anything to do with God anymore. And I just find that to be mm. so um, reflective of just sort of the posture and the leadership of that church, you know? And so by the time I left, I remember, and I'll never forget this. And it just was like such a interesting prayer that I would pray and God totally answered it. I remember I was going, I was going to be leaving Maryland. That's where I grew up going down to Savannah, Georgia to go to this art school down there. And I, um, I just prayed, God, I feel really, I feel like I don't belong here. And I just want to, I just pray that you allow me to be a part of a church in Savannah that would welcome me as like part of their family. Mm. And, um, my first day (laughs) in Savannah, I'm walking around and I meet these two dudes that are part of this church and we wind up forming a friendship and are still friends today. And I wound wow. up being a part of that church, and it was really, really special. Um, and so that, in that time, is when I kind of started to get into, wor- wor- uh, you know, song leading, really. And um, they knew I was a musician, and and so really, people were just really helpful and and sh- teaching me a lot of really great stuff. But that's kind of where the story breaks down because with hindsight, <laughs> I see a lot of things that I'm having to. Uh, uh, unlearn, if you will. Mm. Um, what do you mean? Oh, well, because I think when I was there, I was really, imp- I was really excited. You know, it was a bigger church. 
I came, I came from a small church that was pretty alluring, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is the story for a lot of people that have been a part of bigger churches. And, oh, yeah. you know, um, I also, you know, it was a stage, you know, uh, I just, all these different things, mm-hmm. it was like this production that was sort of sold to me as like this really great thing. Oh man. And I, I, I see now that what I was doing was, was buying into a lot of that, but thankfully along the way, like God just totally just, I mean, honestly, like showed me through a lot of friends and my wife and just the experiences of being around. I, I worked a lot with high school kids and middle school kids and <clears throat> just realizing that I, I wasn't just this dude who's like the worship monkey who just jumps around on stage and <laughs> makes kids <laughs> laugh Man. or jump around, but that I, I actually had more to offer than that. And so that honestly didn't, I didn't, I mean, all of it really crystallized for me after Mars Hill. So I moved to Savannah, thought I would be come this do sound design um, professionally, like in film. Then, you know, my wife and I get married six months later, you know, feeling like maybe we should, they'd offered me a job at the church months before. And I, I said, no, I didn't want to work at the church because I thought that that's where families go to die. Um, all my, I mean, seriously, all my friends, it was just like, good grief, you know, all your families, they just, it sounds like your wives are miserable. Yeah. And so I was really like hesitant to it all. And then I, I, we did, we prayed about it, felt like it was the right thing. And then spent three and a half years in it. And in that time, God definitely changed my perspective a lot. And I'm really grateful for that. And it, and it, and it helped shape the perspective that I have today that I still think is, is, is good. Uh, but then it went from, it, that was a mega church. Then it went to another mega church in St. Louis to help start a college ministry and only to find out that this church just did not want a college ministry. Oh man, uh, that sucks. And then realizing in that time that I don't even agree with college ministry. I don't think that this is very helpful uh, in some ways. And not that it's all, it's bad to reach college students. I just didn't agree with the way that we were approaching it. And then moving out to Seattle to become the, you know, a worship director at a, a church at Mars Hill or one of the Mars Hill churches. And then, you know, fast forward all the way to the end, three years later after that, it's like, whoa, this church is completely, you know, is falling apart and I don't want to work in the church anymore. And so I think that what, you know, what I've realized and all of it is it's rare that somebody gets three experiences um, especially like a husband and wife, three experiences at three different mega churches. I feel yeah. like I was able to see the good and the bad. And when we can't walked out of it, we just decided the mega church isn't for us. We're just not going to be part of that anymore. And we also decided that, you know, I resigned because I felt like um, I couldn't lead with a good conscience anymore. And um, there's a whole lot to that, but, um, but in, 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 you know, it's most simple form. That was kind of the main reason I resigned, I felt like it was really misleading to a lot of the people that were hurting there. And so I resigned and it just felt, it felt like it would be, we'd be betraying ourselves if we just went after another job, the church to pay the bills. So we just said like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to get a job at another church. We're going to trust God. And man, you know, months after I resigned, some friends of ours just are amazing. They like started this like GoFundMe and a bunch of people at the church just like help pay our rent for six months. Oh and my gosh. Yeah, it's insane, you know? And 
those are all like former Marcel people. Because I mean, despite the 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 leadership that was really you know just piss poor, the at the end of the day, like the people there were still like just amazing. Mm, you know, that's awesome. Man. Um, it wasn't all just it wasn't all like messed up. Um, and so you know they helped helped us, and that was really humbling. And in that time, like just different things with citizens. You know, we felt like, hey, let's keep the band going. God provided other jobs. And then just, I just realized I'd been believing this lie that had been fed to me from that, that seed that was planted in Savannah. And that's basically mm. that, like, you're gifted in this and there's really nothing else in life that you should be doing. And I just, like, look back on it all and I'm like, man, I, I appreciate all the ways that people poured into me. I don't want to take any of that for granted because it was very, I'm really, I'm really grateful. But at the same time, too, I think that there was these unintentional seeds planted along the way that the only way for me to serve Jesus, the only way for me to serve the church was if I was a paid employee. And then if mm. I wasn't that, that I was betraying Jesus. I was betraying his church. I was betraying the people that he'd called me. It was just like all these different things. Because even after I resigned, people are like, wait, you're not going to work at a church anymore? And it's like, wait a second. I'm realizing now that my entire, all everything that, everyone's view or not everyone a lot of people's view of me is that all i can do is that all i'm really gifted for is that and i don't think that they were saying it in a way of like oh that's all you're good for but it's more like in terms of well this is what you have to be doing and just seeing no god i can do a lot of different stuff and provide for my family and still love and serve the church and that's what i feel like i've been doing for the past few years post mars hill and i feel just as fulfilled and just as um i feel like it's there's been you know as many sweet stories as i ever had working in the church as i've had just serving the church as a volunteer and and getting to do the stuff with this band so that's awesome man so uh, it's kind of good to go back a little bit um for for those that are listening that aren't familiar uh with, with the mars hill church uh churches i should say um you know it's this huge mega church tens of thousands of members and uh, went through some very public um, issues, um, you know, and and ultimately that led to the dissolution of this network of churches. And and you kind of reflected on this a little bit, and I'd love for you to go into this a little bit more. But you know, all of these people who attended these churches for so long are kind of left now, you know, kind of on their own. And and as you said, you know, for for a time you weren't really sure what the future was going to look like for you. You mm. know, you've you're, you know, you talked about uh, you know continuing the band, but but looking at a life, looking forward to a life that that wasn't necessarily you know one that received a paycheck from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so so talk a little bit about like what you know what did that look like for a lot of the people that were surrounded you know surrounding you? What how did your community respond um, you know to kind of that kind of tragic uh, experience? Yeah. Oh man. Uh, it was like a, it was like an ongoing funeral, honestly. I mean, because people, people, I, I, you know, having been a pastor at the church, you know, there was only, I don't know how many, 50 of us had a lot of close friends that were pastors who, you know, were still trying to just meet with Mark and have conversations and still are. And that's the thing that's really challenging for a lot of people is you know for them their whole whole experience wasn't wrapped up into one person but 
but it definitely influenced wow. that because a lot of their vision and a lot of the things that they did and the sacrifices they made were because this one person was um, delivering these vision speeches and sort of kind of coming down pretty heavy handed on, and you kind of feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing it this way, then I'm, I'm wrong. Or at towards the end there, it's like every, you know, a lot of people, not just people work to the church, but we're like, am I taking crazy pills? You know, because yeah. all the media is talking about this, yet all the leaders are, are showing, they're showing like a baptism video this Sunday after just another big, you know, news thing breaks as if like everything at Mars Hill is awesome. And so I just, I think it was really hard on people and I don't think it's, I, a lot of people try and make it about Mark, but it's not that it's that it's that the hardest thing was that that community was really special. You know, those mm. people, those friendships, that was years and years and years of people where you'd built these relationships with people. And then to just have that completely be split apart, that's just not an easy thing to just, to just immediately accept. And so it's been a lot of years in, of recovery and healing for people and that, that still are. But I do think that one, one of the biggest things, you know, and this is even before I resigned, Mars Hill, it was, it was a stumbling block. It was a complete stumbling block in the city because it wasn't looked at as like this light or as this, you know, place of, of a hopeful word or, or a, a church that's going to help change the city or make it better. It was just, a, it was just known as this place that's like this eyesore. And, it wow. almost got to the point where it was like you felt ashamed to even tell people that you worked there or that you Ugh. went there. And that just shouldn't be the case. And so I think that people, honestly, despite all the pain, I think a lot of people feel freer than they ever have because it's almost wow. like I can just say I'm a part of this church and are a part of this other church that doesn't have some crazy stigma attached to it or some later leader who's, a, you know, narcissistic egomaniac. And I can just where the church, where as soon as I say the church name, they don't immediately start talking about the leader. It's like half the time now I can just say what church I go to and they don't even know who the leader is, oh, um, what, what the church is. And so I just think that it was a good day when Marcel closed its doors because it, it was hard and not everyone will, will agree with me with that. And that's fine. I don't really personally care to even debate that with them because when you look at just the, the, when you look at the amount of people that have been wounded and hurt by particular leaders, but also just the it, Marcel as an organization, it's mm. just like, you know what? It's, this isn't working. Like something about this isn't working. And I think a lot of it is that they really were about building an empire. They wanted to, mm. build, they wanted to build a kingdom. They wanted to build this monument. And I think what I personally believe is that Marcel is just a, foreshadowing of what's to come in a lot of mega churches in America. Um, mm. I think that, I think that in 20, 30 years, all the guys who, you know, the churches, and I don't think putting philosophy aside, the churches that are really big, like proponents of video teaching. I think that when those pastors that have been the ones primarily on that screen are the ones that resign, it'll be pretty clear which ones are really most passionate about doing it that way, as opposed to just raising up other leaders. That was the right. case at Marceau. As soon as Mark resigned, what did the leaders say? Well, none of us want to do video teaching, so let's just let all the other churches become autonomous. That's insane to me. <laughs> that is that is <laughs> like, seriously yeah. insane. Yeah. Immediately, immediately you'd be like, oh, well, we don't want to do video teaching. And we never did. So it just shows like the complete fear of man. No one wanted to just stand up and say, hey, excuse Nobody me. Nobody wanted, yeah. Oh, this dude. Is 
And I think uh, that that is consistent in so many churches, so many churches. I just think people are scared to say what they're thinking. Leaders are. And I felt that at Marceau. I mean, I didn't, I I didn't even know that we were going to go here and I love it because one of the things that John and I talk about a lot, and I think that's a subtext in a lot of our episodes, uh, cause I mean, you get what we're doing here and the people that listen kind of get what we're doing here. We're kind of a tongue in cheek sort of, you know, self-proclaimed, I don't know, prophet, whatever. But like, you know, the thing that I think we all know when we talk about the church being sick, if it's like, there's one thing that makes it sick, it's this imperialistic empire based, uh, co-opted by capitalism disgusting you know thing and that's what i hear you saying and i I didn't even know you were gonna say any of that and i just uh (laughs) i i hope people that listen to this because i know there's people that work at lots of churches that don't admit that they listen to this show but they do (laughs) and and that's great because you know that's what we want to do is just you know slowly and subversively and openly and humbly just encourage people to think for themselves and what you're saying is like in a lot of these situations, it's this thing that John and I talk about all the time. It's belief by proxy. It's like, whatever you say, whatever you say, yeah, you believe for me. You just show me the road. I don't, I don't, I can just, yeah. Hey, what, what he says, what she says, yeah. what, yeah. what that, what that book says, what that author says, whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what wake. I mean, people need to wake up, man. That is not healthy. Mm-hmm. It's not a healthy way to live. It's not a healthy way to build. It's not a healthy way to progress. And it sounds like you um, are representative of a lot of people that have suffered trauma when that eventually breaks down. Mm-hmm. Eventually that breaks down. And that brings us to talk a little bit about your album yeah. that it seems was birthed out of this. And let me tell you something, Zach, when John and I heard this album, we heard something fresh. We heard something honest. We heard something mm-hmm. genuine to, to who you are and, and who you always kind of have been. You shared your spiritual autobiography autobiography with us and and all of that is present in the album but it's in this very very different way than we currently experience with a lot of the mainstream kind of what's on the radio what's kind of being pumped out at conferences what's mm-hmm. you know all that kind of stuff that i think a lot of us if we're going to be honest are, are sort of choking on and kind yeah, of saying yeah. okay enough could would somebody just be honest and and one of the things that you said in when you sent us your album, this paragraph that you wrote, which we thought was so poignant, and then we just want to kind of talk about this record a little bit, is you yeah. said this rec- this record wouldn't exist if it weren't for the fall of Mars Hill as an organization. You said one of the best days in the history of Seattle was the day Mars Hill shut its doors. And, and you talk about this darkness, but then all through the album are these big bursts of just hope mm-hmm. and redemption and honesty, and breathing, and I just, start talking to us a little bit about how this became a project, and how it's been different for you, and and, and all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to the question you asked earlier about, like, how did that affect friends, and people that were part of Marcel, because what it did was, all of a sudden, you know, it's not like the church was destroyed, it's just mm. the organization, so we were all spread mm. out, but you still have conversations with people, and you hear about all the brokenness they have and all the hurts they have and even all the doubts they're dealing with. And it's like, man, I'm in the same place. Mm. And so I think there's a lot of camaraderie there. But I think also what all of us were experiencing that I think was pretty interesting was just being loved by God in, in a way that we never had before or experiencing that. And I think that's because when you spend a lot of years at a place where you hear God loves you, but it's just shouted at you. It's different, you know, you just receive. So it's almost like a footnote rather than like, oh, that's like the gospel, God's love. 
man. And uh, and so that really influenced this record. And honestly, too, there were dark times for us too. You know, um, not dark in the sense of wasn't the point of necessarily. I wasn't at the point of just denouncing God altogether, but it was more or less just realizing there were a lot of. In fact, there's a song on the record called Bad Madness that originally was called Borrow Belief. And I kind of talk about it a little bit in that song, but originally it was all about that, how so much of our um, belief system is just borrowed because of what you just said. Pastor said that. Some yeah, person yep. told me this and I need to, you know, hold on to that. And I think probably, you know, I, and I, I even personally, like as I, as I was, when I was a kid, people used to tell me all the time. Well, there's a passage in the Bible that says that God pulls back the curtain for loved ones to look down. And I held, I held on to that. And then I get like older and I'm like, where the hell is this thing in the Bible? It's I was like, where, where's that <laughs> yeah. verse? <laughs> it's not there. Good luck. God Good helps luck. those who help themselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's just a bunch of cliches. And I just realized that's, that's what we need to make our record about because that's what oh, we're wrestling man. through is a bunch of cliches. Even it's all about Jesus. It became a cliche. Yeah. And, and so I even just like worked really hard to write the record in a way where it's, we're talking about God to God without necessarily having to use the only name that we use, you know, the common pronouns, but other, there's other ways to talk to God. There's other ways to talk about him. And the Bible gives us so many examples of that. Like the first song on the record, it's, you know, you know, three different names, you know, of, of how we could, you know, look at God and label him, you know, it's like man of sorrows, the resurrected King. Um, I'm forgetting the other one, the humble King, uh, just a lot of different ways that we can sort of look, look at who God is that I think almost gives us a, a really more robust imagination. Oh, that's uh, good, when we man, think about yeah. it in that way. And so mm. that's really, this record was yes, coming out of a lot of hurt and pain and, um, just searching, but also realization that we're loved and uh, loved no less when we doubt. And I think that was pretty, pretty remarkable to me because I spent a lot of years when people would come to me and share doubts, I'd just give them a, a stack of books or I would try and explain away that doubt rather than just hearing them out. And so that's mm. what we realized is like, man, there's a lot of people that are feeling burnout and just feeling like they're over this party mentality. They're over this, uh, this pendulum swing. And I think we just wanted to write something that was personal and honest and honest. We weren't really even thinking about people that much. <laughs> if I'm <laughs> honest, not that we didn't care about people. It's just that we felt like if we're going to make something that we really believe in, it's got to first start with us pouring out all of our experiences and to it that have influenced, that would influence the way we write this and not just being general. And so I think that's why when people listen to this record, they'll, they'll hear it in, in a, They'll hear something that they haven't heard from us before because um, we just threw away generalities and just tried to be as specific as possible about this journey of faith that we're on. Sometimes I wish I never was born to feel the sting of a merciless world, the constant
Yeah, I, I remember the. I think the first time I listened to it from from beginning to end, um, I called Adam, and the first thing I said is, you know, this is one of the most incredible albums I've ever heard. I mean, it's just wow. phenomenal, both yeah. you know, musically, lyrically, you know, all of those things. It's it's, it's a, a very complete album from from front to front to back. Um, and it, and it's funny you brought up uh, madness um, <laughs> because Adam and I were literally just. <laughs> staring at the lyrics just now um that's one that really stuck out to me because to me it seemed that the other thing i told adam is i said uh, it this seems like part worship album and part like i'm reading this guy's journal yeah mm-hmm. um and, and so to your point of it of it being very personal if i could i, I just want to read um i mean i could have picked any of the verses in this song but um this really just spoke to me and i think would would speak to a lot of the listeners that we have um, shadows of doubt, stealing my sleep, I'm wearing down without any relief, tired eyes and a tangled up soul, I'm feeling lost, I don't know. They keep on trying to soothe my grief, but all that's left is borrowed belief. It's mm. truth I need, not another cliche. Your word is my hope from a, for a steady faith. And I remember hearing that, I remember thinking, man, that is spot on. Dude, that's so good. Mm. You know, mm. so, man, so many of us you. are... Are, are you know have either gone down that road or are going down that road as we speak and um i think uh some of the other interviews that we've had with other musicians um who you know at, at one point or another were probably categorized as a christian quote christian band have all mm-hmm. struggled with this fact that christian music or mainstream music e- either way either way you go or either way you label it um just mm-hmm. seems to have a real lack of honesty and and we seem to avoid kind of these major questions and you know like I, i'll doubt but don't you know in quiet you know in my basement yeah. where no one can see yeah. it right yeah so like a neutered form of the doubt yeah like it, i'm not really <laughs> doubting i just used the word right but I'm, not, yeah. but I'm okay i'm okay it's, let's pretend no, yeah. yeah let's pretend like we don't have Complete, doubts <laughs> you know yeah, a complete like passive way of, of dealing with maybe something that's pretty heavy so oh yeah so, so I guess the, the question I'm leading up to is, is obviously this, this very much appears like it was a therapeutic way for you to kind of process some of the things that you're dealing with as mm. a result of this kind of negative church experience. So it, does this continue to be kind of therapy for you? Is, is this something that uh, uh, was therapy for the other guys in the band as well? Oh, completely, man. Yeah. I mean, I think like what you just said, like, it's like a journal. I mean, I think I... I think that song in particular, Madness, I had 10 pages of lyrics, you know, just, and wow. it wasn't, that, it wasn't just, and I'm, and the only, it's the only song I've ever written this way. Uh, and it's because I had, there's, I, there's so many directions I wanted to go with it. <laughs> so at one point it'd be about borrowing belief from others. Another time it would just be all about grief. And it's just like, why? And, and as time came, you know, as the more I wrote, the more I realized, okay, I can pull all these things together and kind of talk about it all. I just have to be take the time to really write it in a way that feels natural, like it's a conversation. And I think that part of the reason the song sounds the way it does is I think it, it wasn't that I had 10 pages of lyrics. It was more just 10 pages of thoughts and like verbal yeah. processing, which is how I, how I am with stuff. I just talk until it all makes sense, which is a little bit uh, maddening for my wife, but she's, <laughs> she's stuck with me for 10 years now. So hopefully... <laughs> will stay there but um (laughs) but i I do think that like with that song in particular it has you know or just the record in general it has been therapy you know for us to make it but also to be able to listen back to it and 
and realize that, you know, what we hoped we would create is what was created. And that was a record that spoke to sort of the, the journey that comes in life of searching in particular, this perspective is one as a Christian. Um, but one that I feel like any person could like jump in and probably find a song that they identify with most, regardless of what they believe. Um, and I don't, and I, I'm not naive enough to think that a bunch of people that don't believe in God are just going to like flock to this record. But because I do think it is pretty, you know, clear what we're talking about. But it's we're not we didn't we weren't trying to be. Um, it's not propaganda, you know. It's not we're not just trying to use a bunch of words to, you know. I even you know, talking with Adam the other day about this. It's like to de- we're you know I just want to de-Christianize myself. So that's probably part mm. of the reason that there was yeah. ten pages. It's. Oh my gosh, like I wouldn't even say that in a conversation with someone. I'm not going to sing that. And that's stuff I never did in the past. I never did that. And that's not to diminish any of our other records. It's just that I feel like this one is the most honest thing that we've done. And I think that's why I think that's why so far the few songs that people have heard are finding themselves really encouraged by it because I don't think it's so much just I don't even know that. I, and maybe it's, maybe, I, I hope maybe it'll be inspiration for a bunch of other musicians and writers out there to just, in, it may, I don't know, whatever Christian music world they're in, to just feel like they don't have to appeal to everybody. They don't have to cast such a wide net, but they can just write about where they are and know that that's, that's okay. <laughs> and not everything needs to be looked at as like, is it marketable? You know, so. Well, I think that w- to tie back into something else you observed while you were just kind of, um, reminiscing about the whole Mars Hill breakdown and and the you know the imperialistic kind of capitalistic megachurch doom that you know we're yeah. all kind of pro- we're all kind of prophesying in one way or another yeah. is that you know as that breaks down as that empire breaks down as that um, we'll, we'll call it the imaginary you know to to borrow a Pete Rollins kind of word you know this just it's not real you know there's this mm-hmm. there's this fake thing that we just all inflate and and need need it to be big so we feel like our faith is big and you know yeah. with with that comes all this restriction all these boundaries that aren't real and all this uh feeling you know John and I was talking about feeling really claustrophobic in those spaces like this is mm. just too too small of it. you're trying to make this big thing but what you're making is this really small thing and to mm. go back to what you're talking about creativity i think when that breaks down this is just adam's thoughts that you know <laughs> Adam's thoughts plus Adam's thoughts and a nickel won't even get you a cup of coffee. So wow. you know, don't take this for what it is. But I think that when that breaks down, that free creativity that you're talking about will continue to to actually flow and release because people won't have this false expectation that they're just trying to fit into, and they can actually start to do what the what the ancients, what the prophets, what the mystics, yeah. you know, what what the what the artists back in the day did. They found the beauty of Christianity, which has always been incarnation, it's divine and human, and done justice to both, divine and human, you know, the bo- full expressions of both. And I think that you're doing that, and I think a lot of people are going to start to do that. So I hope that this is the pebble that starts the avalanche in yeah. a lot of ways. And I want to talk yeah. a little bit about uh, one of your songs and read you a couple lyrics here. One of the songs I really connected with was uh, Relent, and the bridge was just like this oh man, just the way that the music is on the bridge. We're going to play a little bit of it here. And just, it's really beautiful how you constructed it musically and lyrically. And you say uh, in these lyrics in the bridge, I just want to live in peace 
but I'm struggling to believe that letting go will bring me peace. Can I just sit here at your feet? And I don't know if you were talking about your friends. I don't know if you were talking about God. I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm not asking you to explain it, but what I would like to is just to hear a little bit about like what, where you were when that, those kinds of lyrics come out, because I, I feel like a lot of Christian leaders just aren't comfortable saying things like that. And mm. I think it's beautiful. And I'd love to just hear your thoughts about like kind of where you were when those kinds of lyrics start to take root and you want to write them, sing them and let them out. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, interestingly enough, it just, they just came in a moment when we were rehearsing the record or rehearsing that song, I had the verses and the chorus done and I got, we got to this bridge part and I just finished singing the, um, the lyrics of the chorus. And we kind of just played through that part for a while. And the first thing that I just could not let get out of my head was like, I just want to live in peace, you know? And I was just feeling that in that moment of this complete, uh, just feeling completely tired and exhausted from trying to just trying to find answers to every single question I had. And there just came this point when I was like, you know what? Surely I can bring all this stuff to God. (laughs) But at the same time, I am struggling to believe if that will actually like, will actually bring me peace. I know it's what it says. I know what it reads. I know what I've heard in sermons and whatever, but will it actually bring me peace? And I think, Mm. For me in that song, it's like that, that point of, yeah, can I just sit here? <laughs> can I just like sit here, say nothing and just be, <laughs> and mm. that's when you get into the bigger part, you know, I know that I belong cause this is right where I belong. It's like, this is the place I'm meant to be. You know? um, and so that's where I think I was at was just realizing that all the chaos and mess that was in my head, um, I felt like in that moment even, and I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it wasn't just, you know, sometimes you, you know, you hear like the old Rolling Stone stories of like Mick Jagger just singing a bunch of vowels and that eventually. Like, <laughs> you right. can't even understand half his lyrics anyway. So that's probably true. But <laughs> I, uh, I love the Rolling Stones, but I, I just think in this, it wasn't that it was just like in that moment, that's just exactly what I was thinking. And even as I went back to try and finish up the lyrics, I just couldn't let that go. I could not let that those lyrics go. And I think that's honestly probably, I mean, interestingly enough, because <laughs> you're right, there's a lot of Christian leaders who probably wouldn't say that. But, I mean, what if it was God leading me to say that, you know? Like, yeah, what if man. God was just, like, speaking, and I was just, you know, communicating something that was true to where I was at, and God wasn't shaming me and wasn't feeling like, that was wrong or mm. you know, needed to be PC, but it was just mm. something that was honest. And I felt that and I still do. And I still feel that some days where, you know, I, I could run this rat race of trying to um, just trying to run away from whatever pain is there or whatever questions I'd have and try and just ignore it. But I think mm. that's like one of the most exhausting things is just to pretend you know you mentioned earlier it's just to live in this pretend world and that's not our reality and um mm. i think that if we were more honest with each other and with god we we'd acknowledge like we're tired we're exhausted by our own volition but we're also tired because we live in a world that 
know, just exhausting. <laughs> There's a yeah, lot of yeah. stuff that we're confronted with. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's where I was at when, when that lyric came, came together. That's beautiful, man. One of the things that I love you're kind of touching on also is a theme that comes out in our podcast a lot. It's like, you know, when we're, when we're dealing with these big, giant mysteries of life, you know, our existence, our identities, our, our faith or lack thereof, you know, the divine itself, there's only so much you can say. And a lot of it's just like words that create space for just unknowing. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I pick that up in a lot of what you're saying. And I just feel like that there's something so genuine about that. I wonder if that has anything to do with just the album title. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I think that was the realization too, is that I, we are, oh man, we're just in American, I mean, just in evangelicalism, it's like, we're so confident. We're so confident in everything, <laughs> you know? And yeah. it's like, what in the world, man? Like, I, <laughs> Christianity is insane. Like I'm sitting here saying I believe in a God I can't see. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, it's just like that's crazy. It is crazy. And I think that like <laughs> when you really, but it's it's crazy to talk about. Yeah. Yet at the same time, there's something within us when we know that God is there and He's present within us. There's just some things we just don't even know how to explain. And I think we just have to be. Yeah, we have to be okay with that. Man. And so I think that's where the Amir Dimly part comes in. It comes from you know First Corinthians thirteen. Um, at the end where Paul is kind of talking about spiritual gifts and love and, mm. and how we have this understanding of God that will be, that is veiled right now. You know, it's still, it's still a mystery, but one day that won't be there. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll look, we'll look and it's as if those like fogged glasses or that blurry mirror uh, or that, you know, you know, foggy glass, whatever it is, like we'll be able to look and it won't be there anymore. There's mm. the clarity. And, um, you know, I, I think that for us, like that's what we wanted to create was that even though there is mystery, like we can still have faith in the midst of mystery. And even though there's mystery, we can still have doubt, but it's like that, that dance between faith and doubt where we, as we keep moving forward and we discover things, I have personally found in my life that I get to places where, I'm okay with not needing to have the answers for everything. And I think that's really what that record, what that title is meant to, is meant to, to say is that we're just, we're not, we don't have the answers to everything and we need to chill out a little bit. (laughs) Cause that's, I think our confidence is just an interpretation in particular of certain things has just created so much confusion for people, you know, yeah. and we could, we could go through a list of topics. We, we know what those, you know, many of those are the hot button ones at least, but it's like at the end of the day, why don't we just start by having confidence and, and just sort of the foundational truths of the gospel, which is that we're loved, you know, we're loved no matter what. And I think that to me that out of that flows a much deeper longing and desire to want to discover more, but also be okay in the mystery because we know who we are. We're loved. And um, that's, that's really what that title's getting at. No, I'm not who I was.
that's good, man. Man. Well, as we as we kind of come to a close here, one of the things we like to do is is try to give people some practical advice. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about your personal story is the fact that you know you not only worked at one mega church but multiple mega churches and 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 spent a large part of your career in in this leadership position. And we have a ton of people in various different you know uh, parts, I guess, of of leadership. You know whether it it's a pastoral role or, you know, worship or, um, you know, multiple different types of roles who reach out to us and, you know, usually on the down low, you know, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, secretly, you know, um, and, and a lot of them are, you know, are expressing the exact same concerns and the exact same doubts. And so what, what advice would you give from your kind of unique perspective of, you know, how to, how to wade through that, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give those who are listening, who are, who are kind of, you know, either who have had, you know, positions similar to yours or are working for, you know, large church, uh, currently. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that I've come to realize is that the majority of the leaders actually, with the exception of one, cause I don't think all mega churches are bad. I don't, I know a lot of really great people. And, and churches that are bigger churches that I really respect and, and love and, and admire um, their efforts to try and um, continue planning churches and, and serve their communities. But of a couple of those churches I've worked at, some of those leaders, um, which I'm sure you can guess one, uh, just never talked about, ne- were never honest about who they were. Like they never, sh- they never talked about sin, their own stuff, their own struggles. It was always general stuff. And I just came to realize, like, I don't trust those people. Like, no no matter how, you know, like I sat through years and years at the first church I was a part of where they would give these, we'd have these pastor meetings of 30 guys. And man, maybe one of them are listening. We'll listen to this. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But we would do, you know, three hours of this moral authority talk and not, Uh. and it's just like all about, you know, making these decisions because you make this one decision and it's going to you know, crumble the church and all this stuff. It was just as if like, you can't even sin. Like I can't even mess up. Like if I, so then what happens is if I mess up, what am I going to do? I'm not going to tell anybody. If I, if like my wife and I are really struggling, I'm not going to tell anybody because now people are going to think I'm a terrible person because my wife and I got into a fight, you know, all too common sale, man. Yeah, man. And so I think to me, the biggest thing I would just encourage people with is like, you can't change people. But you can, you know, be who you are. And if you feel like, you know, I would just encourage people to just be honest with who they are and with where they're at and to not grow bitter toward those people that maybe don't do that, but pray for them and, and just be, don't like wait to, for like the perfect opportunity to say something, just say it, you know, like, I think that's the, one of the biggest problems in big churches is that there's these hierarchy, hierarchies created where the particular leaders are just, they're exalted. And as if they're like these like biblical monsters who are, you know, like as if like, we're not a part of the same branch, you know, as if like wow. they're a branch above us and we're a different branch. Man. Like that's, that is so common. And in reality, it's like, no, like look at that person, that leader as you guys are part of the same branch. And if you feel like the Holy spirit is, is leading you to say something then just then do it and trust that like it's not worth like your job <laughs> like at the end of the day i know that sounds crazy but don't do it because you're scared about keeping your job 
or don't not do it because you're scared about keeping your job. Like, I think, I think that sounds crazy, but I think that's where we got to start looking at, you know, church is it's, it's a calling. It's not a, it's not a job. And I think when we make it a job, it, it gets messy and murky and that's when empires start getting built. And Uh, so I think that it's just like honesty is the, you know, walking in the light. I, I, you know, first John one, seven, my kids, I wrote, I write them little Bible songs all the time just to, (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's, you know, awesome. that's awesome. Just, man. just like little verses, just to, you know, we can sing, and I don't know. I just thought that'd be a really sweet way for them to, to learn about God and, and kind of recall as they grow. And one of them is First John one seven. And we just talk about something like you don't walk in the light. It's not you. Just it's a, you, you have no fellowship with with believers. Like the fellowship isn't there. Like there's the friendship. So it's like why rob yourself of friendship wow. with the people that God has called you to be with by not walking in the light, by like hiding and thinking that you can do that forever because you can't. And so, um, Dude. I don't know, man. I just, I think that that's to me become a priority for me and, and whatever church I'm a part of, but to like, just for people to really look for and, and be honest about, you know, really what's going on where they are. Well, just to tack onto that, you know, as we're closing here, because you're kind of already saying it, but just to a different group of people, what about all those people that have just gotten railroaded, that are just bleeding on the side of the road because the church has just rejected them or run over them or just crushed Mm -hmm. them or, you know, obviously it's never one-sided, it's never unilateral, it's, you know, there's always participation from both, but there's a lot of hurting people, man. There's a lot of people that have just gotten, seems like just shot by these huge however big actually and you know i'm not necessarily looking for you to give them advice you can if you want but like do you what kind of just thoughts from your heart do you have yeah. for them as we're closing yeah i think it's well, i mean the first thing i would just say is i'm sorry um that really that really sucks you know like i've been in that spot and i know a lot of people have and i think for my from my own experience because that's really probably the most apt thing I can share and even my wife and I I mean coming out of Marcel and my wife I know she wouldn't mind me sharing this but I mean for many days where she's like why why even be a part of why even be a part of the church anymore you know like why should we even go like what is the what is the point of this if all the leaders that we're under are just gonna wind up being pardoned you know a bunch of like kind of narcissistic assholes you know like they would yeah and I yeah. think that that's, that's a really, that was a really difficult thing for her to grapple with. And then I found myself in the same spot. It's like, yeah, you're right. Like, why? And I just think, like, at the end of the day, it's just realizing that, like, no matter how great the leader is, they're all human, just like you and me. And realizing that the, the church that we want to be a part of is one where everybody doesn't have to believe the same exact thing, you know, where every single interpretation doesn't have to be identical. And that there can be some really beautiful things in that. And I do believe there are churches in every community and city where there are people that way. They just not, they might not be like the prettiest church. They might not have the coolest music. They might not have like the best preaching, but (laughs) there's, there's, I know they're there because there's people in every community that are living that out. They just maybe aren't as, as well known in that way. And so I just think like not losing hope. And that was the biggest thing for me. Like when the cloud pulled away from our sills, like, well, there's a lot of amazing churches here. And I went there and, you know, we were part of one now. We've been there for two years and those people there have been so gracious to us. You know, no matter how angry we've been, no matter how much stuff we've had to deal through, wrestle through and walk through, 
they've stood by us. And I know for a fact that there are lots of people in the city where we are who went to other churches and had the same experience. So I've got to believe, you know, for any person that is, is just feeling really just burned and just broken and just feeling like they just got just completely ran over that, uh, it's like, just, just heal <laughs> and, uh, and, and be, and that's okay. It's okay yeah. to just heal and not need yeah. to, you know, there's no, there's no checklist that you need to walk through in order to get healthy. Again, I think it's more or less like be okay if that healing takes a while. And I think there's a lot of people who, who will walk with you that are okay with it taking a while too. Definitely. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. Wow. I, I, I see no better, better way to, to end this episode. I mean, dead on, man. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. So we, I mean, we, we've really enjoyed this, man. We, we really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, mm-hmm. to come talk with us. Like, I think this is going to be hugely beneficial to a lot of people out there and, um, you know, that are hurting and, and that have been hurt, you know, by, by organized religion in general. Um, so before we let you go though, um, uh, the album comes out September 16th. Yeah. Uh, it's called Amira Dimly, Citizens and Saints. Um, yep. So uh, uh, where can people find your music and, and what's the best way for people to keep uh, on top of what you guys are up to? Yeah, I mean, you can follow us on Twitter, citizens underscore saints. The same thing goes on for Instagram, Facebook. I don't remember what it is, but it's just search <laughs> citizens and saints and <laughs> you might find it. But that's good. Social media. Um, and then um, we're, you know, we do have a good bit of shows coming up this um, this fall. So you can just be checking on our website for that. We sh- we're hoping we will be on the West coast. We'll be in the Midwest and also on the East coast. So, um, looking forward to singing these songs and, and just sharing them with people live as well. Awesome. Uh, you guys coming to Columbus? You know, actually I'm not joking with you. I just heard the other day that, that, that is a strong possibility. So it better be. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. It freaking better so we be. Gotta, <laughs> we got to make it happen. So <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> man. Yeah, we, Dude, we will, we'll just, uh, promote the heck out of that man we'll just do a podcast episode where we're just underscoring the entire thing and you guys (laughs) (laughs) perfect well again we we really appreciate it man um people listening uh pay close attention to our twitter uh the week this drops uh we may or may not have uh you know some album giveaways so it might be a chance to get to get that record so um Thank you again. Uh, we really appreciate your time, man. This has been uh, really beneficial for us and I think for a lot of people listening. So thank so you. So much fun, man. Thank you so much thank for you. sharing. Yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate what you guys do. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon when you're in Bye. Columbus. <laughs> yes. Yes, in, in the flesh. I'll be there. Awesome, dude. Thanks a lot. Yep, see you guys. I'm not who I was. I am who I am.
So you know what I really love about A, this record, B, Zach Bolin, Citizens and Saints, and that whole conversation we just had. I just realized we did something. You know what we just did? What's that? Back in the day of this podcast, <laughs> which is just a few months ago, <laughs> but back in the day, we were talking actually with Brennan Strawn on that interview that we did with him way back when mm-hmm. about just how Christian art a lot of times is so bad. Yeah. And how it's just not honest mm-hmm. and it's just a following a formula and it's like stamping out the same old crap all the time, which is funny because the liturgists have a podcast about Christian art or religious art, I think, yeah. right now. And man, listening to him talk about mystery and doubt and struggle and you know trying to make heads or tails and just God's love and like all of these things and letting these things pour out in beautiful music. Yeah. We got to talk about that finally. Yeah. Ah. And I, th- I think it's interesting because um, regardless of the, the genre or the type of musician that we've had the, the, the honor and p- privilege of, of speaking with, going back to the beginning, um, no matter how long they've been in the industry or, you know, like, like I said, what type of music they happen to play or, you know, whatever the case may be, all of them have kind of said the same thing, whether it's Derek Webb or, mm. or K-Max or mm-hmm. Brennan or whoever they've all said the same thing. Like, yeah, we could stand to have a little more honesty in, in our writing and, and our dealing with, with our struggles instead of just sugarcoating it. Like, everything's great, you know? Like, what does Peter Rollins talk about? Like, what would, what would happen if all the worship bands in the world start, started writing worship music about, like, the crappy parts of life, you know? Right. Everybody who would leave church I depressed. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, like, you know, actually bringing up P. Rollins, like, what's, what he talks about in liturgy, how liturgy is the technology of theology. Yeah. And theology is full of the full spectrum of human emotion and encounters with the divine that leave our heads more cloudy than clear. And... There is that through the mirror dimly thing and all the stuff we just covered with Zach, you know, coming out of the falling apart of Mars Hill and, you know, his whole story and all the things that he's been through. That's what needs to come out in honesty in music. Yeah. And, oh man, being a part of that, that kind of culture that's just totally co-opted by a corporate mentality, co-opted by capitalism. mm co-opted by the the powers that be essentially there couldn't be in my opinion this is going to sound like i'm throwing every mega church under the bus and in some <laughs> way in some ways i actually am even though they're not all bad and they're not all bad all the way through right but mega churches in order to become mega churches have to in some degree just totally get in bed with the power structures of our of our culture and our the, in our society and there couldn't be anything more anti-jesus than that there right. just can't be it's just Pure and simple. Let's just call a spade a spade. And we, I mean, we are, we do have it on the uh, the docket to do an episode on, on deconstructing church. Um, coming up actually in the next couple of months where we're going to dive into that a little bit deeper. But um, I, I think in conversation, you have uh, you and I have talked about multiple times how the 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 structure of the megachurch, like no, no, I don't think there's any person out there who's equipped to, to handle the power that, that no comes with that position way. at the top, you know? 
No way! And so we, but we sit here and we're so shocked and surprised when that person buckles under the pressure right. of all that power. Yeah, you get caught drinking too much. You get caught diddling the secretary. You get caught embezzling money. You get caught being an a-hole. You right. get, because nobody can handle that kind of power. Nobody. And if you're handling it, you're probably being robotic, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily, you know, one of the cardinal sins, but it's definitely not the way of Jesus, who was, right. you know, ruggedly human. I think Rob got out when the game was good. Absolutely. I totally understand why that guy was like, love you guys, but I'm out. I got to go surf. (laughs) I got to go to LA and surf now. Yeah, man, that was good. I I just so appreciated his honesty. There wasn't even a a whiff of bitterness in Zach's voice, in his story. No. All the crap he's seen and been through, and he still puts out this beautifully redemptive but honest album. Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome, man. That fit right in with our series about just stories and how deconstruction isn't always this intellectual thing. Right. Sometimes it's just the shit of life that just hits you, and you've got to deal with it somehow. Yeah, and I think I think if you want to tie all three of our episodes together, you have Brennan and Glennon who both... Brennan and Glennon. Brennan and Glennon. I know. I was like, I was like, way to screw it up, Zach. Like, <laughs> Seriously, and dude. Zach. What's wrong with you? Can we go with his last name, Glennon, Brennan, Bolin? I don't know. That flows a little better. Works a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. But like if there if there was something to tie that all together, you have Brennan who is dealing with with these deep issues, and you have Glennon who is dealing with these deep issues. And all as as Rollins would say, to kind of bring it back to Rollins, you know, they manifested in these symptoms. You know, yes. like it was like putting a band-aid over like internal bleeding, you know, like yeah, it man. just you know, it, it just kept manifesting in these really negative ways, these really harmful ways. Until they were just, you know, like, the only thing they could do is heal through truth. Yep. And so, you know, as opposed to running away from, from the pain, as, as Glennon so uh, perfectly put it, you know, they, all three of these individuals just see it as part of their journey now. Mm. You know, exactly like you said, isn't bitter. He's like, this is just part of my story. This is part of my journey. I've learned and grown from this. And so, you know, again, here, let's tie, let's tie two of our favorite people together. Are you going to go roar? I'm going to go roar. I knew you were going to go roar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we talked about like, you know, uh, I think he's referencing sin in this situation, this example, but he talks about, I don't think you should give up your sin until you've learned what it has to teach you. Uh, dude, that comes out in almost every book that I've read from him. And every time I read it in some way, shape or form, I go, oh, that's so good. And I know it's so true. Yes. It's yes. so true. So many people are trying to rush past their pain, their sin, their brokenness. Yeah. And they haven't learned to welcome it. They haven't learned to stop using it as a source of guilt, shame, and self-hate, let's be honest. Yeah. And how are you ever going to get past something if that is always something you have to either just deny or repress or whatever in order to function? You, yeah. haven't, you haven't dealt with it. And so many people listening to this show have been through some kind of traumatic... Uh, the thing about religion that's so crazy and weird is a lot of times it's connected back to our parents and our families and our our identities in some way and when we when we start asking questions about creation or salvation or god or language or whatever all of a sudden things feel really shaky and people start leaving and blah 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 and you're in deconstruction and so many people i would say take a cue from brennan take a cue from glennon take <laughs> take a cue from zach and look at how they've gone through just the most agonizing things and they're they're not bitter. No. They're not bitter. They carry their rock bottom around like a badge of honor. I'm not sure I can say that completely. I've I've felt no. so just inspired by these people. And on top of that, the way I, I think the thing that Glennon really brought into focus for me uh when when speaking with her 
is it, it kind of made me think back to that parable uh, that Peter Rollins tells in his Pints and Parables. So for those of you that haven't listened to that episode yet, please go back and listen to it. But he tells this parable of this woman who loses a child and oh, she's, she's grieving, right? And mm. so she's walking around trying to find anyone that can bring her, chi- her child back. And so finally after, you know, this is the obviously short, less cool version and not in an Irish accent, but, um, but this, this, uh, this, I don't know what, what he called him, a priest. Holy or, man. Holy man. Yeah. Um, says, you know what, if you can find uh, a home, I need to make this potion. And he, if you can find a home that has, uh, not dealt with some sort of tragedy or suffering, bring me mustard seeds from that home and I will make you this potion and bring back your child. And of course we all know that there, that doesn't exist. Mm. But in the process, she's able to heal. He gives her this gift because she comes across to home where this other mother had lost a child. Mm. And they could walk through this pain and grieving together. And instead of trying to cover it over with something and give her some sort of cheap fix, mm. she's actually able to enter into her pain, enter into her grieving, push into it, as Glennon would say, and, and really just heal from it. Mm. So this has been a, This has been really fun. We didn't plan. No. On this, you know, these three kind of really rugged, raw, personal stories that come from different angles and vantage points. But I hope you guys all felt as warmed and touched and inspired and um, provoked, yeah, disturbed as, yes. we, as we do. Yeah, and, and maybe a little comforted, hugged, and healed. Yeah, know? hopefully. So if you like the music, again, um, check out Citizens and Saints. Like I said, uh, in, in a couple days, on the 16th, this Friday, their new album drops. Please go out and get it. And as always, with any of the bands and artists that that we get permission to use on our show, um, if you like the music, please go out and purchase it. Um, try to help them out. Go see them on tour um, and uh, get on social media and uh, let them know that we sent you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a big big help to us, so that we can continue to get really great music to use for the show. So, all right, guys, that's all we got for now. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Keep deconstructing, everyone. If I gained the world, would it be worth the price? To work these hands to death and not be satisfied. Every effort brought another sleepless night I'd be so tired I have strived enough to know that this divide Could never be repaired through countless second tries Still I stay the course avoiding what is right Now I'm so tired I'm just so
Searching through the earth for treasure I couldn't find Wallowed in the mud for nothing but my pride And I'm so This is right where I belong 